to the Brain for Business Brain for Life podcast with me, Lawrence Snell, where we take the lessons from evidence-based academic research, most particularly involving the brain and behavioral sciences, and translate them in a way that is accessible for leaders and organizations. It is an absolute honor to welcome to this episode of Brain for Business Brain for Life, Professor Jeffrey Schnapp. Jeffrey, you are very welcome. Uh, thank you, uh, Laurie. It's a pleasure to join you. There is a lot that I could say to introduce Jeffrey. Jeffrey is Carl Pescasolido, Professor of Romance and Comparative Literatures at Harvard University in Boston. He is faculty co-director at Harvard's Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society, and as part of that, is founder, principal, and director of MetaLab at Harvard, a knowledge design lab, idea foundry, and production studio dedicated to innovation in the arts, media, and humanities. But oddly enough, that is not why we are talking to Jeffrey today on the Brain for Business, Brain for Life podcast. Jeffrey is also co-founder and chief visionary officer of Piaggio Fast Forward. So Jeffrey, perhaps you might start by telling us a little about Piaggio Fast Forward. What exactly is it? So Piaggio Fast Forward is, the name suggests, is part of uh, a company that has the distinct uh, brilliance of having survived and thrived even for 136 years. And that company is the Piaggio Group, famous throughout the world for Vespa scooters, Motoguzzi motorcycles, and Aprilia motorcycles. Uh, sometime in the early 2000s, the Piaggio Group realized that it really needed a strategy for exploring the world of light mobility as it was shifting, entering into the 20th century, into the digital era, and began to uh, cast about for some ideas as to how to develop new kinds of vehicles that didn't look like the vehicles that had characterized the 20th century, particularly in the light mobility field. And as a result of that process, eventually they came to me and to my lab at Harvard wanting to set up a think tank on the future of light mobility. And that think tank uh, lasted all of one weekend. Uh, it rather quickly evolved into the idea of, of starting a new company. And that new company is Piaggio Fast Forward. We're based in Boston, which has a very rich innovation economy, as well as the resources of some of the great research universities of the world, um, and a very strong community in the field of robotics. And uh, we were founded five years ago. Um, our focus is, like our parent company, a focus on light mobility. We're not interested in automobile scale vehicles. We're interested in vehicles that are more on the scale of scooters and motorcycles. And our distinct mission is to create precisely those new kinds of vehicles that leverage the power of state-of-the-art emergent technologies in the service of mobility, but exploring new vehicle, vehicle types and new vehicle forms. And we launched our first product at the end of 2019. It's a mobility vehicle, a light mobility uh, vector uh, called Gita, which means a, a pleasure trip in Italian, a short trip, that is a follow me robot. It's a robot that uh, is a cargo vehicle, a transporter, that uses optical navigation and uh, supports pedestrian mobility choices. It carries your stuff to not put too fine a point on it. Why in particular did, did they 
go to, to your lab? What, what is it about your lab that attracted them? Or was it actually also connections that you may have had through your own more, more broad academic work? It was a combination of factors. It was largely uh, connections to me rather than to my lab per se. But uh, my lab holds what we call open lab events uh, several times a year, which are showcases of work in progress, completed projects. We invite friends from the MIT Media Lab and other members of the creative community um, in the Boston area. Um, and we basically hold a kind of community event, a party, and a number of um, executives, senior executives from um, several Italian companies showed up at one of these events through a friend of mine who had already told them that the, uh, the, the deus ex machina behind this venture was a faculty member from Harvard who happens to work back and forth between Milan, Italy, and the United States, and who also was a former motorcycle racer which I was for some 15 or so years. And those various disconnected threads came together. They were interested in the kind of spirit of playful, critical engagement with uh, cutting edge technologies that they found in the lab environment. They thought there would be a lot of value in having somebody lead this venture who came from outside of the transportation world, outside of the transportation business, um, not an engineer, but rather a, a, a thinker, a scholar, a cultural historian, and also somebody who had some in-depth experience of uh, the kinds of vehicles that have defined the history of the Piaggio Group itself. I, I literally raced an Aprilia motorcycle for several of my years as a road racer. So there, there were a bunch of different um, disconnected factors that came together in that first encounter and then led eventually to the foundation of the company in uh, 2015. And so if we take your role as chief visionary officer for Piaggio Fast Forward, what exactly does that involve? Is it about bringing that different thinking, those those more, I guess, cognitive elements you were talking about there rather than being from within the transportation industry? That's certainly a key a facet of the role of chief visionary. Uh, it, the title was a title that my co-founder, uh, Greg Lynn, who is an architect by training, and I came up with when the company hit the three-year mark of its existence. I had served as CEO during the first three years, and uh, because of my commitments at Harvard, wanted to sort of shift my role with more of an accent on the uh, research and development features of our work, and also a responsibility, I think, as the title implies, for those aspects of our work that go beyond the immediate task of delivering a product, improving that product, marketing that product, um, overseeing the sort of administrative side of the, uh, the, the business. So uh, Chief Visionary Officer as a title corresponds to a portfolio that's very much focused on, on the middle to the longer term dimensions of the work that we do, strong emphasis on emerging technologies and on research and development, including some of the more speculative aspects of the R&D that we work. And then um, I would say secondarily, it locates me within the hierarchy of the company side by side with my co-founder, uh, Greg, 
who serves as has has served as CEO pretty much since I made the shift in title to chief visionary officer. So for the last uh, two years. You mentioned the the the, the Gita, uh, and I, I'm I'm assuming you've got other sort of projects underway as well. But why why is this important? Why is Piaggio Fast Forward important and 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 relevant? Well, I think as the pandemic has suggested, Laurie, the world of mobility is undergoing a real transformation. I mean, we inherited from the 20th century cities that were designed around the automobile. The automobile has been the protagonist of really uh, almost every facet of economic, social, uh, individual life uh, over the course of the past half century and, and even longer. And uh, that predominance of the automobile has come under challenge increasingly over the course of the past 20, 30 years. We've seen the increasing importance of pedestrian zones uh, in center cities. We've seen the, uh, of course, the environmental consequences of an automobile-centric culture and economy. And uh, we have also seen um, the increasing effort to move people off of automobiles back to the sidewalks, back onto bicycles, into mass transit and other sorts of transit vectors. And all of those pieces have been accelerated by the pandemic. Uh, and the result is, I think, an acceleration, again, of processes that were already underway but what all of those processes do is push us to really rethink the shape of the mobility ecology itself. And within that ecology, walking is really the most profound expression of human independence, of human autonomy, of human mobility. But it's also perhaps because it's so fundamental, so elemental, the aspect of human mobility that's received the least innovative technological supports and solutions. So Piaggio Fast Forward chose fairly early on in its history, rather than to try to invent new kinds of vehicles endowed with a kind of intelligence that we associate with you know, self-driving cars, for example, uh, vehicles that would continue the transformation of humans into passengers rather than uh, mobile agents themselves, we, we became intrigued by the notion of creating technologies that would support and promote human mobility rather than substitute for human mobility. So Jita is the first expression of this philosophy. It's a philosophy that is focused on using the very technologies that are at the core of self-driving cars, but to use them in the service of promoting increasing activity, increasing mobility on the part of humans themselves by removing one of the main obstacles to people walking rather than reaching to the keys to the car, which is the fact that we move around the world carrying a great deal of stuff, whether that stuff is related, to, you know, it's the equipment that it, our work imposes or requires of us, or it's the toys of our kid whom, with whom we want to go play in the park. Uh, it's the 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 amount of materials that we move around the world with that we found through our own research early on that often serves as the key obstacle to that making that mobility choice which is a mobility choice that's in the service of uh, individual health 
our sense of connection to the communities we live in, the environment, really all of those sorts of factors come together when we choose to walk or to bicycle or we choose a mobility platform that has this kind of uh, aspect of um, intimacy, connection to place that uh, is most and best embodied, I would say, by, by walking itself. And so how do you then overcome the, the, the fact that, and, and okay, I use the word fact, perhaps in inverted commas, um, but the fact that so many modern cities have been designed specifically around the, the automobile, whereas say perhaps older cities, whether you know, maybe Dublin where I am now or some of the Italian cities, you mentioned Milan earlier, were designed more around, around people and walking and possibly people on horses and carriages. How do you then change that mindset if someone is in a city where the car is the god? Indeed, it's a long-term challenge, and certainly many of the legacy cities that we've inherited were quite literally designed for the automobile in the first instance, and only you know in a very secondary way for uh, for for walking. Um, or not to mention cycling or some of the other options that are available to us today, like, you know, e-scooters or uh, similar kinds of devices. So our philosophy really from the outset was that it was impossible to design any kind of mobility solution that would satisfy all of the mobility needs of the present or the future that namely that we could design, for example, a, ro a robotic vehicle that could climb stairs, but it would look like a monster and it would be a monster that would be so expensive and so obtrusive and probably uh, so uh, uh, unattractive that you would not want it parked in the corner of your living room or at the foot of your door. Uh, uh, our focus from the beginning was to truly try to think about how we could design a vehicle that works particularly for the way cities are being built today and will be built tomorrow. And those are cities that will be built respecting contemporary regulations requiring uh, access for the disabled, for the aging population, that will have ramps, that will have elevators, that won't be filled with obstacles in the built environment that impede different categories of citizens to move about freely. Um, so we knew by creating a vehicle like Jita, which is a self-balancing two-wheeled vehicle with a small, relatively small footprint, that uh, we, could, we, we knew we wouldn't be able to climb steps. We wouldn't be able to make it uh, a, a contribution to cities that have many of those kinds of obstacles in the built environment. Um, but we nonetheless view this as an essential starting point for building a larger, in a sense, rebuilding the whole mobility college from the bottom up and slowly nurturing those longer term forms of decision making and design planning and urban planning that will uh, adapt the, the, the built cities of, of, that we've inherited from the past to some of those emerging standards that um, are now the norm. Does that suggest that the the concept of smart cities, as it's being called, will continue to emerge, and that your Piaggio Fast Forward solutions will form part of that, or would you perhaps view smart cities 
slightly differently? Smart cities are of, of considerable interest to us. Uh, of course, under the rubric of, of, of the smart city, um, a, a variety of different notions uh, are, are to be found together. The, the notion of an urban environment, for example, that uh, has uh, stoplights and, and pedestrian crossings that are responsive, <clears throat> that are capable of adaptive behaviors, those, those would all complement the kinds of uh, vehicles that we are in the process of developing and producing. Um, but I, I somewhat take exception to the label smart city because I think it, it falsely suggests that cities before the uh, computational sort of present were uh, somehow dumb cities, whereas I actually, as a cultural historian, chafe at that idea. And I, I see cities as, as embodiments of human intelligence uh, that are almost like, you know, kind of a stratified geological site of forms of intelligence. And it's that intelligence, in a sense, that represents the greatest challenge, but also the greatest source of satisfaction and pleasure in belonging to one of those, connecting to one of those environments. So I think the smart will come as another layer um, that adds another dimension of intelligence to those environments. And robotic vehicles like Jita, robotic vehicles that are able to in interact with their environment, adapt to their environment, read that environment, learn from it, will be contributing factors to that collective intelligence that the city generates. And uh, I certainly see them as uh, on a convergent path with the smart city movement. It's an interesting perspective you put there, that sort of contrasting the so-called smart cities with the converse of that, if you like, the uh, the dumb city, because a lot of those older cities, whether you are talking about the you know, Barcelona or Milan or, or or many smaller towns and cities around the world, are, are actually very human and they're very engaging on a human level. Whereas some of the the more smart city approaches and some of the more modern. Uh, consciously designed cities can sometimes seem to be lacking in humanity and soul uh, and, and spirit. Indeed. And, you know, what we love about those historical cities is precisely that palimpsest-like uh, thickness of historical presences from different eras in the past. The surprises that await you as you turn a corner and you move from one epoch to the next. And uh, it's, it's that richness of the texture of cities that, of course, is part of their magic. Um, and I, I have uh, uh, clearly, as my response, I think, implied a worry that the smart city emphasis loses touch with that aspect of urban environments that's uh, so extraordinary. So I really like to focus my own energies and the kind of the energies of the sort of work that we do at Piaggio Fast Forward on not trying to, in a sense, flatten out or replace that kind of textured experience of the urban landscape, but rather trying to think about how new and innovative and imaginative uses of technology could enhance or enrich our sense of connection to, to that um, textured urban environment. Okay, so if, if we take that then and, and sort of 
thinking about people engaging more or perhaps re-engaging with that textured urban environment, as you call it. Wh what implications are there, do you feel, for 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 societies? Will will people live differently as a consequence of that process, or, and and as a consequence of that, will will new forms of business and organisations emerge to support that engagement? It's a it's a question that is being very actively debated um, all over the world right now. I think, um, and I I think some of the most advanced, most imaginative solutions are ones that uh, are emerging from different urban contexts. The Paris mayoral election, whose second round is, I think, underway as we speak, hinges largely on the concept of the 15-minute city. Uh, what's understood by the 15-minute city is this idea of re-aggregating, in a sense, rebuilding the neighborhood scale units that make up Paris as a whole, and thinking about how to make those units viable economically, socially, recreationally, such that we can reconnect people to that kind of local scale, get them out of cars, get them into a, a, a sort of uh, environment where it's possible even to work, for example, integrate the work dimension of their lives into that kind of radius or scale, kind of reduced, more compressed radius and scale. Similarly, in Barcelona, discussions around the constitution of super blocks, taking the existing grid of the city and building these super blocks, which are essentially blocks made out of blocks where automobiles no longer are the dominant players, but rather other kinds of transportation platforms, much like Jita, bicycles, cargo bikes, push scooters, a whole range of such uh, light mobility vectors. And, uh, Similar kinds of experiments, I think, have been going on really for some time now, and uh, I think we'll continue to to shape this discussion. I don't think there's a any single sort of perfect solution, but it's each city, I think, at each urban location is going to have a set of solutions that are going to represent the stepping stone towards this post-automobile cityscape. And by the way, I, I don't mean to suggest that automobiles will have no role in the future of mobility. I think it's only that they'll be moved to the periphery of the core town center and urban center areas and will serve a function that is fundamentally different from the current function that they perform. The thought that comes to mind or, or the, 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 the phrase that comes to mind as you were talking is that one from Schumpeter about the, the gales of creative destruction, uh, about how things have changed suddenly once a new innovation comes along. But for when I listen to you talking, and maybe it's more reflective of, of your uh, academic background, it's perhaps less those big disruptive gales that someone from Silicon Valley might talk about and more the, the, the gusts that will subtly ch change things along the way and, and, and modify things in, in softer and, and more uncertain ways. Indeed, and and I think in the case of uh, of the culture of mobility, the transformations tend to be more those gusts rather than the the, the disruptive you know hurricane like gales. <laughs> um, if you look at uh, 
that the even the automobile's explosion at the beginning of the 20th century as a vehicle, it the way it it sort of took over the world. That that process actually took several decades. It was not instantaneous, and. I was just looking the other day at uh, an early film of a drive in a streetcar down Market Street in San Francisco, right at the heart of the downtown of San Francisco, right before the 1906 earthquake. And when you see the incredible diversity and proliferation of vehicle types with only a few automobiles, but you know, people with donkeys pulling carts, trolleys that are electric trolleys, uh, mechanical trolleys, um, bicycles, uh, just the incredible heterogeneity of the core sort of pulsing life of a great city in that era, you realize just what a messy and, and, and complex and, and, and protracted process that, um, that sort of takeover of the automobile uh, really was. And I, I think we're in such a moment today. We've seen an explosion, for example, of micromobility, which t 10, 20 years ago, no urban planner in the world would have told you that that uh, these little e-scooters would somehow be a key facet of how the citizens of 21st century cities moved around. And yet in the process of five plus years, we've seen them all over the world become a key player in uh, the, the, the mobility uh, mix. So um, these are processes that have a, a, a kind of extended duration and their effect on the way we build cities, we design cities, we design sidewalks or civic spaces of different kinds is one that almost inherently has a kind of longer duration. It's not you throw a switch and then suddenly um, you have a new city. It strikes me as well that if you, it's easy for us to look back with hindsight and think that the emergence of the car as we understand the car today was inevitable and that's how it was meant to be and that's what the car was like. But as you say, when you're looking at that older clip, you recognize there are all these different forms and the car was just one of them and not necessarily destined to to rule the world in the way it did. So that there's, there's no way of, of, of knowing where, where we're going to go. Indeed, if you look at the history of the automobile city par excellence, which would be Los Angeles, um, any historian of Los Angeles will remind you that Los Angeles had the largest streetcar network of any city in the world circa 1930. And that tells us a great deal about just how non-inevitable these transformations are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that to me, when we're thinking, for example, about implications for, for societies and for people, but also for business, is, is perhaps the most exciting thing because we just don't necessarily know what opportunities will come up if people are not necessarily getting in their car and driving 10 miles to the mall to stock up on on whatever but walking within a, a shorter radius of their home then th they have greater opportunity to, to to engage with a whole new range of of shops of businesses of of ways of doing things indeed and the the combination that um, of factors that led us in particular to feel that supporting walking as a mobility choice by creating innovative robotic vehicles 
was uh, an interesting and, and potentially rich and promising proposition was uh, were several factors, one of them being the increasing importance of the delivery economy, which naturally the pandemic has uh, powerfully reinforced. The fact that the, the you know, former sort of pilgrimage to the mall model of uh, shopping has been in crisis really ever since the Amazons of the world took over large sectors of commerce. Um, and this sense that somehow as people abandoned some of those kinds of patterns that were automobile dependent, that they would there would be new patterns that emerged that would take us again in this direction of relocalizing ourselves, reconnecting ourselves to, uh, to, to a, a different kind of radius of movement and activity. So where to now for Piaggio Fast Forward? You, you mentioned the Gita was it launched in, in 2019. Where do you go from here? Do you have further models and approaches being launched? Yes, we, we are in the process of developing a whole family of vehicles that are founded on the same design ethos, which is a focus on what we call autonomy for humans. So whereas the focus of the activity of the autonomous automobile companies is, of course, autonomy for, in a sense, putting software at the wheel of cars, our focus is on putting people in front of robots so they can walk more, better, further, and uh, without having to worry about uh, transporting the, the bur burdensome goods that they require or uh, choose to travel around the world with. Um, so we have a, a couple of other vehicles in development. Um, some of them are much larger, more kind of utility vehicles than is Jita. Others are smaller, more portable, easier to carry over obstacles. And our hope would be to create this whole family that, um, again, reinforces the core ambition um, of the company, which is to create products that move the way that people move. And that sounds probably like a, a rather simple proposition. But in fact, when we walk around the world, as we move down hallways or through lobbies or across sidewalks or through parks, our behaviors are incredibly complex. We, you know, as bipeds, humans have developed this very, very intelligent way of navigating this kind of pedestrian scale world. And so our R&D effort, our uh, design effort is, is tightly focused on studying the complexity of those behaviors and trying to teach intelligent machines like robots, how to in perform those actions without requiring human supervision. In other words, to be able to adaptively um, respond to operator inputs. And the operator inputs are in the form of just doing something you already do, which is walking. So as we like to say, if you know how to walk, you know how to drive a Jita. Um, but responding to those inputs with autonomous behaviors that are almost invisible to the eye. They're so slight, adjusting speed, adjusting location, avoiding obstacles, getting closer, getting further away, going through, uh, uh, overcoming different kinds of uh, challenges like getting in and out of elevators. So um, all of those behaviors are part of a kind of software operating system package that is the result of a lot of intensive research and study of how people 
actually move, how they interact with other moving objects as they move through the world, what feels intuitive, comfortable, appropriate when it comes to the etiquette of the sidewalk. I like that line, if you can walk, you can drive a, a Gita. It sounds like something that you, uh, you spend a lot of time working on. <laughs> If anyone wanted to find out more and actually take a look at, at a Gita, uh, where, where can they go? What's the, the, the website for Piaggio Fasforo? So um, if, if you go to uh, mygita.com, uh, that's M-Y-G-I-T-A.com, uh, you can have a look at what a Gita robot looks like. Uh, it's, as I think was, uh, I hope was clear from earlier in our conversation, Ajita is a mobile carrier. It's a transporter built around a cargo bin. The cargo bin also has a USB port, which allows you to connect into the power source for the vehicle. It's an electric vehicle. It self-balances. Uh, it uh, it self-balances in a way that allows it to rotate on its own axis. So unlike some of the other kinds of four-wheeled or six-wheel robots you may have seen in uh, the media or on uh, city sidewalks, um, Jita can literally t move the way a human being moves because it uh, actually has a, a such a small footprint and uh, it, it 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 rotates on the just these two wheels, much like a let's say a uh, a wheelchair does. It doesn't use a gyroscope the way that a Segway. Um, does it actually uses its own body weight to adjust constantly with making micro adjustments to, to self-balance. And it's, it's a vehicle that moves up to, we have them topped out at about six, 6.2 miles per hour. So, you know, basically those are speeds that are walking speeds that walking to maybe a slow jog. And that's a deliberate choice because we think it's essential that if you're going to operate vehicles like this, they need to operate safely in spaces where people are comfortable with them, not just the persons operating them, but also non-operators. And uh, if you go to mygita.com, you'll also see some of the other technical features of the vehicle. The, the bins can be swapped. You can have multiple bins, drop them in, take them out. Um, you can park the vehicle and lock it so that it stores your goods in an open public location. It's trackable. You can share your vehicle with what we call your crew. Um, a crew is just the people you have authorized to use your vehicle. So it could be your family, it could be your housemates, it could be your uh, the, the neighbors in your condominium and you and a couple of other friends could all share a vehicle. The idea is that it's a social vehicle, a social platform, but not one like city bikes that are shared by everybody, but rather shared by a community that uh, is committed to maintaining uh, and taking care of the vehicle. In part, that choice is dictated by the fact that, you know, this is a robot. It's a pretty sophisticated piece of technology. We can't just have it sitting on every street corner, letting people, you know, kick it around. Uh, it does require a little bit of care. Well, Jeffrey, uh, Professor Jeffrey Schnapp, it's been great uh, speaking to you. Thank you for your time and, and thank you for telling us a little bit more about Piaggio Fast Forward. My pleasure, Laurie.
Our theme song, La La Song, Electronic Beat Time and Dream Sequence by Lorenzo's Music is licensed under an attribution, share alike license.